Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church Podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Hello. Oh, this is fun being on this side of it. We are so happy to have all of you here. I'm not sure which one of you are uh, all first-time guests, but again, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. And um, and like he said, you know, the series coming up, I'm so excited about it, so excited about taking December and, you know, taking every week this month and focusing on things that we can do, you know, practically, spiritually, things we can pray toward to make next year the best year of our lives, the best year our families have ever seen, the best year for our marriages, for our children, for every aspect that next year, like he said, everything changes. The little things, the big thing, everything. So today, I wanted to start this series off with a message called, Do Not Settle for Somewhat. Don't Settle for Somewhat. So I want you, if you will, turn with me to Exodus 3. We're going to start in chapter 7. And I use the New Living Translation because... I'm more modern than King James Version. (laughs) Kidding. So it starts off and it says, The Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. A land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, all the other ones, Jebusites, all the ites. I can't pronounce them like Casey can. Now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. So skip ahead to chapter 19. It says, but I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably upon you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. So I want to set up really quick this whole little cast of characters. Pretty much every single person in this room knows this story. Everyone knows the story of Moses and the Red Sea and the Israelites and the miracles and the plagues. But I want to look at it in a little bit of a different twist. So, of course, you have Moses, who is the one that God has chosen to lead the people out of Egypt. He is the one person that God gave the promise to that the Israelites will not only be free, that they will be sent to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land that he gave to the Jebusites, so on and so forth. You have the Israelites, who are, of course, the people that are bound. You have the enemy, Egypt and Pharaoh. Now, you have to think that these are the people that have been in slavery for some 400 years by now. By the time Moses comes into the picture, it's been four centuries of slavery. Now imagine if you were the very first generation that is taken captive. Obviously there's not as many of you. 
you know, by now, they, some people say they're numbered into the one or two millions of people. So there's just a few of you, and whenever you're first captured by Egypt, you remember what it's like to be free. You remember what it was like to have your own land, to have your own flocks, to have your own herds, your money, everything. You live in total freedom. So you're captured. Your children remember hearing your stories, but to them, life in Egypt is fairly normal. Then to their children, now they're just hearing the, the stories of their grandparents, and then their great-grandparents, and then their great-great-grandparents. So to us today, we hear the stories of our great-great-grandparents, you know, driving horse and buggy and, you know, um, farming the land. And to us, it's just a story because we didn't live it. And so to, by now, 400 years later, to the Israelites, slavery is just a way of life. There's nothing even bad about it. They have food. You know, they have, I mean, they have homes, more or less. You know, they have an area where they all live together. They don't live in luxury. You know, they work. You know, they work for Pharaoh. They work for Egypt. But, I mean, you know, life is okay. They're alive. It's hard. You know, don't break the law. You're going to get whipped. But if you don't break the law, you're great. It's great. Life's good. So to them, this is completely normal. So funny story. So our, our sweet little girls had birds, much to our dismay. And it was amazing whenever, you know, you see our, these little birds in their cage. Just for, The birds are gone by now, but we don't have the birds anymore. But we had them for a little while. Thank you, Jesus. They're gone. Now we have a dog. Casey loves a dog. Don't let him fool you. He really loves this dog. So... <laughs> So, we, you know, they have these birds, and, and they're beautiful little parakeets. And it's interesting whenever we would watch them because to these birds, whenever we would let them out to kind of, you know, flutter around the girl's room, every time, hands down, 100% of the time, they would try to fly back to the cage. And it was so interesting to watch of, you know, you have all this room. You, you can literally just fly around the room. You can fly through the apartment. I mean, you know, you're not going to get out and, you know, fly off. But, I mean, you could, you know, stretch your wings, fly out a little bit. But to them, this cage was comfortable. It was their home. It's, you know, even though it's a cage, and, I mean, it was fairly small for two little birds. But to them, that's where they felt safe. It's the only life they had ever known was this one way of living. So... You know, it's, it's easy for us whenever we're looking at our current situation, you know, be it finances, be it, you know, if we are in debt, if we have, you know, strifeful marriages, if our children are, I mean, you know, yeah, they kind of know about God, but they don't have a fiery, passionate relationship with God. It's easy for us to spend so much time there that it begins to look normal. It's like whenever you move into a new place and at first, you're so excited, and you're unpacking all of the boxes, and everything is great. And then, you know, there's those two or three boxes that never really get unpacked. And, you know, it's easy to, whenever you first see them, and you see them, and you say, oh, we'll, we'll get to those. I mean, it's, today is just not the good day. We'll get to them later. And over a period of time, you don't even notice the boxes there anymore because you just learn to live with the mess there. You never see it. So it's easy to say, well, yeah, I mean, I know we're in debt, I mean, I know our kids are not totally on fire for God. It'll be okay, though. It'll work itself out. Then that turns into just every once in a while you have the thought, you know, God, God did promise me that I would thrive and that I would not live in lag. Because after all, his word says, I would above all things that you would prosper and be in good health. I mean, I know it's God's will for me to be totally healed and to not live, you know, with this cancer, or not live with this back pain, not live with the migraines. But I mean, you know, I mean, I have the medicine. It's okay. 
So it's really easy for us to get caught in that place of, this is just all I know. But God has something better for you. So let's go back to this story real quick. I'm trying to move fast. So you have Moses, again, who starts this whole journey with only a promise. There's nothing else that he has. He has no proof. He's terrified, begging God to pick someone else, actually. Begging him, please don't let me do this. Send my brother, send someone else. I don't want to do it. But he starts off with only a promise. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. You know the story? Pharaoh refuses. Not only does he refuse, it gets worse. So now the slaves don't only have to make the bricks, they have to make the bricks without straw. Because it's going to get worse, as we all know, before it gets better. So you can just imagine the frustration of Moses whenever he goes to his people. And he's already presented the case to his people. God has promised us you're going to be free and you're going to go to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then he goes and says, well, told Pharaoh you're going to be free. He said, no, shocker. By the way, you got to make bricks without straw. <laughs> Sorry, guys. And you can just see Moses running off before you know he gets shot. But in that moment... Moses now has a choice. Pharaoh has said no. Does he let it go? Because he did what God said. God told him to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. So he did that. He went to Pharaoh, told him to let my people go. Pharaoh says no. So Moses can absolutely walk away and say, God, I did what you said. I went to Pharaoh. He said no. Or he can hold on to the promise that God gave him. Regardless of the fact that no one else, no one else in his family, no one else among the people of Israel had this promise. No one else had this word, but Moses did. And so now he has a choice to make of will he believe what God has told him, despite the fact that no one else will believe it. So Moses, again, goes back to Pharaoh. His staff becomes a serpent. Pharaoh's heart remains hard. He refuses to listen just as the Lord predicts. Next one, we all know the story, plague of blood. Pharaoh's heart remains hard. Next one, plague of frogs. Pharaoh's now begins begging. Plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so you can make your sacrifices to the Lord. You set the time, Moses replied. So do it tomorrow, Pharaoh says. So the frogs die. Moses makes his preparations. Pharaoh saw that relief had come, so now he becomes stubborn, and he refuses to listen. The next one comes, the plague of gnats. This is the finger of God, the magician said, the magicians being the people that work with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart remains hard. Next one, the plague of flies. All right, go ahead and make your sacrifices to God, Pharaoh says. But do it here in this land. Now think about this. Now Pharaoh, after several plagues in, makes Moses an offer. So now Moses has another choice to make. Does he negotiate the promise he originally received at the table of the enemy? So now you have a choice to make. Okay, so I know God said we would prosper. I know God said we would not have to live in this debt forever. I know God said that I don't have to live with the sickness forever. I know he said, I know he made me a promise whenever I was holding my little baby in my arms, rocking it to sleep. I remember the promises he whispered in my ear in the dark hours 
of the night about my daughter, about my son. But see, now the enemy is saying, it's okay. They'll believe in God, but, you know, they're going to struggle with this addiction. It'll be hard for them. They'll believe in God, but it'll be a struggle the rest of their life. It's okay. You'll pay off most of your debt, maybe even all of it. You'll all be, you'll always still be kind of living paycheck to paycheck, but hey, we'll go ahead and pay the debt. No biggie. No biggie. So now you have a choice to make. Are we going to settle? Are we going to settle for the negotiation that the enemy gives them? Because now Moses has to remember. He said we would live in a land flowing with milk and honey. He said that the women would strip the Egyptians of their wealth. This isn't it. So Moses says no. So now you can just imagine Moses going back to the people saying, I mean, he said, you know, we could go, we could go worship, but we have to do it here. Half of the people had to be saying to Moses, well, I mean, this is just not what God said. This had to be what God said. I mean, God said, we, yeah, this is it. No, Moses knew. No, we, we are called to live in a land that flourishes. We are not called to live in lack. We are not called to live with strife. We are not called to live with sickness. No, God gave us this promise, and we're not bending off of it. So the next one comes, the plague of livestock. Again, Pharaoh remains hard. Plague of boils. Plague of hail. Finally, after the plague of hail, these, the, the Pharaoh's officials come to him and say, please, would you please tell this man who is holding us hostage, please tell him to let them go and worship. Because now, finally, God has not only caused Pharaoh to start questioning, now God is having all of Pharaoh's officials, all of the little minions of the enemy coming to the enemy himself playing, was saying, would you please? Please heal the kid because this woman, they are going to strip us of everything. Would you please, please release them from this horrible debt? Would you please do it because they are driving us crazy? Because God is now going to cause the enemy to start questioning himself. So finally, Pharaoh looks at them and says, Who all is going? Moses says, We will all go. Young, old, flocks, herds, men, women, children. Pharaoh says, I can see through your evil plan. Never. Only the men may go and worship. Since this is what you requested. So now the enemy is taking the promise and trying to deceive Moses. And what the promise really said. Saying, see, this is what you requested. You requested to go. So you can go, but just take them in. So now even Moses is starting to negotiate a little further because first it was you can worship in this land. Now it's you can go, but just take them in. Moses has to think, this isn't it. We were promised everything. In fact, we were promised the women would go. And not only would the women go, the women will go and strip Egypt of its wealth. This isn't it. So God sends the next plague, plague of darkness. Pharaoh says finally to Moses, I am warning you, never come back to me again. The day, the day you come back, you will die. Now, I want to pause here. Now, this is something whenever I've, I've read this story countless times and always wondered, why in the world would God tell Moses, I'm going to let your people go, but I myself am also going to harden Pharaoh's heart so he will not let your people go? How does this work? 
<laughs> that God is telling you to go to the enemy, it'd be like God saying to you, I know your kid is in the hospital. You're going to go lay your hands on them, rebuke the spirit of sickness off of them, but I'm going to make sure that sickness doesn't leave. It just, you know, you just kind of scratch your head saying, (laughs) then why would I do this? This makes no sense at all. None. And then it makes you think, well, is God causing the bad things to happen? Is God himself causing this evil? Well, of course not. God is not, God cannot do that. God is all good. God is all life. God is all healing. He can't send anything bad. But why? Harden Pharaoh's heart. Why make it so utterly impossible for Moses? Now he's getting death threats if he goes back. You're telling him to go back at the risk of him dying. Why would you do this? So it's easy to look at the situation and wonder, even your own, why is this getting worse? Why is this more impossible? But you have to think, just go here with me. Let's just say hypothetically, God goes to, or Mo, uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh the first time and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, sure, you know, we've, we've had them long enough. They've been here 400 plus years. I'll go ahead, go ahead, be free. And, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll, you know, we'll go get the Hittites and make them slaves. You know, just, just think about this with me. What would the Israelites believe about God had that happened? Was it Moses now that has set them free? Because to the Israelites, had they been able to be freed the first time, they would never have seen the finger of God do the things that still to this day, few have ever seen. That had they been able to go the first time, Egypt still lives. The enemy still thrives. Not only do they thrive, they still have all the wealth they've ever had. Had they been gone the first time, Pharaoh could always still come back. And not only is the Israelites not seen the finger of God, the enemy has not yet seen the finger of God. So in your situation, there are things in place that you might be wondering, why is this not getting any better? But what if there is a work that God has to do, not only in your heart, but to prove to the enemy You can never do this again. Then what if, what if God has to strip the enemy of everything? What if, if you settle, what if Moses would have said, yes, we will take the men and we'll go. The women and the children can stay here. What if that happened? What if it, what if he settled for we'll go, but we'll leave the livestock? then now the enemy is left with the livestock. The enemy is left being able to start over again. The women and children stay. The enemy can start over again, but not in the lives of the men. In the, in the lives of your children, the enemy can live on. In the lives of your marriage, the enemy can live on. So God has to make it harder, not because he is an evil God, but because there is an enemy that has to be destroyed for you to see the power of the God in your life. So let's go on. There, now, you have to think about this too. The, the Israelites outnumbered the Egyptians a couple hundred thousand to one. And in the place of here, so, you know, here you are. You're the Israelites. You know, you look up at the castle. 
And here is Pharaoh who, Pharaoh who controls everything. Pharaoh, who from his castle is like a marionette puppet controlling all of his officials, all of his magicians, all of his people, all the slave drivers. And it all really just points back to one man. It all really just points back to, to one enemy that is at work here. So, you know, yes, the slave drivers, yes, all these people, yes, they're the enemy. But there's really just one controlling the whole thing. So if that is the case, whenever you look at your situation, let's just take marriage, for example. You look at your situation. I know this is, this is going to, this is going to, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. <laughs> you know, let's look at your marriage, for example. If your spouse has been unfaithful to you, your husband might have been unfaithful to you. That woman in his life, she's not the enemy. Not at all. She's a pawn being used by the enemy. She's on the string of a puppet being used by the enemy. But she's not the enemy. The debt collector, the people that call you, they're not the enemy. Not at all. But there is a spirit at work that is causing lack. The sickness that you might be suffering, it's not the enemy. But what's behind it? You cannot look at this and think, maybe even for you, your spouse. Your spouse isn't the enemy. Those friends in your kids' lives, they're not the enemy. Because to some, uh, some other parent, that's their baby. And to another parent, your, your kid might be the other friend. You have to think about that, 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 you know, they're not the ones wrong in this. They're being controlled and deceived. They, their mind is under the power of an enemy that is hiding in the shadows of his own castle up in the hill of Egypt who is really controlling this whole thing. So my spouse, even though, you know, he, she might be talking to me bad. She might be going off and doing all of these things. He might be verbally abusive. My child might be off doing drugs. My child is with the wrong friends. My child is, is dealing with homosexuality. The, 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 the other man that your son is dealing with homosexuality with, he's not the enemy. Because there is an enemy simply controlling his mind. And he is just as bound as your kid. This other woman in your husband's life, this other man in your wife's life, they're just as bound. So let's go down. I need to only have seven minutes left. I've got to hurry. There was a story one time a friend of mine told me of, I'm having to skip. Let me see. Okay. Yeah, I'm having to skip a little bit. So there's a story a friend of mine told me one time who um, their, their child had gotten sick and was not going to completely recover. They would live, but um, they would still have to be on medicine. They would still have to be um, basically you know, mentally handicapped for life. And so this woman did a Facebook post and said, you know, we've been praying, we've been believing God, and quote, this is what God wants, that my child is alive but will have to live like this. This is apparently the will of God. She settled for a fraction of what was really supposed to be. Another woman who talked to me, their daughter had left home, done some horrible things. God speaks to them, gives them word after word after word. 
of, you know, what the promises that God is going to do in the life of their family. And another pastor friend of hers, not just, you know, a random friend, a pastor goes up to her and says, the marriage is going to be lost. The children, you know, the family's going to be split apart. The children's going to be devastated. Her calling is going to be lost. She'll come back to God. She will come back to God because this is how you've raised her. But she's going to lose everything. That, that's the hope that they gave her? Now, she could have settled for that and just said, you know, I mean, I can still have a relationship with her. Even though, you know, all of this is, is going to be destroyed, I can still have a relationship with her. But no, and I want you to look at the difference in these two stories. The latter woman didn't settle. The first woman did, and her child is still in a wheelchair. Her child is still handicapped for life. The second woman said, over my dead body, she's going to lose everything. And she fought hell and high water. That, that daughter came back. That daughter was restored to her family, to her calling, because that woman refused to settle for a fraction less than what God had promised her. As a matter of fact, that woman had written down 40 words, 40 promises that God had given her, and all 40 came to pass. Not one was left behind because she refused. She refused to settle. She refused to negotiate at the table of the enemy. Okay, so let's go on. Really quick. Let me see, four minutes. Okay. Really quick. Is it okay if I go over a couple minutes? Is that bad? Okay. So, <laughs> all right. Let's go back to Egypt. So finally, the last plague comes. Angel of death. We all know the story. The death angel comes. People of Israel were told to put the blood across the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over them. If not, the firstborn of each household would die. So, of course, Pharaoh's household, the firstborn is killed. Pharaoh finally calls Moses. Get out, he says. Leave my people and take the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds and be gone. And the people of God asked the Egyptians for their silver and gold, and they stripped Egypt of its wealth. So finally, God is able to bring Pharaoh to his knees. And out of his grief and despair, he tells them to go. However, there was one part of this story that God didn't add into the original promise to Moses. Remember, his original promise is, you're going to be in a land flowing with milk and honey. The women and children will go to the neighbors, ask for silver and gold. I will cause Egypt to look favorably upon you. They will give it to you, and thus you will strip Egypt of its wealth. So, there is this little part that God added that Moses never knew about. Because there is a plan in God's mind that we cannot know. So, I want us real quick. Let's skip to Exodus 14, verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit here, so bear with me. Okay, so they leave. Israelites leave Egypt. They're, they're on their way out. They don't know where they're going, but they're going. They're free. So the Lord gives these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by, I can't pronounce this, you may have to help me, Case. Um, P, 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 H, 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 H,
Th that's good. That's perfect. Okay. Between, <laughs> between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephon. And then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. Because remember, God has just sent them free. And then God says, turn back. Okay. It's like, tell, them to, tell, tell Pharaoh to let your people go. And then I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Okay. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they are told. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done? Letting all the Israelite slaves get away. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariots and called up his best troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with their fist raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses, his chariots, his charioteers, and his troops. Think about this. God hardens Pharaoh's heart and sends the entire army of Egypt out. So the Egyptians caught up with people of Israel as they were camped beside those places. So the people cry out, I'm skipping ahead, skipping ahead a few verses. So the people cry out to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? It is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, fear not, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. Just stay calm. So we go on. You know the story. Moses parts the sea. They cross and Egypt chases them. So we're going to skip ahead to verse 25. So now once all of Israel is across and they are on dry land. In verse 25 it says about the Egyptians. God threw their force into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making them difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from the Israelites, the Egyptians shouted, for the Lord is fighting with them against Egypt. So verse 27, as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh, all of the Egyptians who chased the Israelites. Not a single one survived. Here's why. Here's the promise that God hasn't told you about yet. The little cherry on the top that he will not leave you with whenever he first gives you the initial promise. Yeah, you'll go free, but unless I cause them to chase you again, they'll never die. They have to come back. They have to chase you back because if this enemy continue, continues to live, you'll live in fear of it the rest of your life. If the enemy of debt continues to live, you're going to live in fear the rest of your life. If the enemy of adultery continues to live, the enemy of strife, 
sickness, whatever it is, if it lives and continues to live in the life of your loved one and your children and your children's children up to 400 years later, now for the rest of your existence, you will fear, can this enemy come back? So the little cherry on top that God never told Moses about was, hey, you're going to go to a land flowing with milk and honey, and you're going to strip Egypt of its wealth. And by the way, I'm going to kill all of them, but you don't know that yet. Because now whenever God gives you a promise, he doesn't tell you that this enemy that comes back with seven times in the verse in the New Testament, whenever it says you have swept the house clean, but the enemy will come back seven times the amount. You don't know that whenever he comes back, there's a plan that God has in place to utterly annihilate the enemy. So that now not only you have to, you don't have to live in fear, neither do your children. Neither do your grandchildren. So the generational curse that has been at work in your life, its back is broken for all eternity. So whenever, so whenever the enemy comes to your table to negotiate with you, yeah, your kid is going, you know, it's gonna, your kid's going to struggle with this addiction for the rest of its life. Why? Because the enemy remembers there was a God that annihilated Egypt. And if I can get them to negotiate, we don't have to go through that again. We don't have to deal with this again. Wow. So, but if you don't settle, if you refuse to give in to the negotiation that the enemy is presenting you with, you might just live to see not only your freedom, but the annihilation of the enemy that is at work in the life of your family. You might just get to live to see your children being not only everything they are called to be, but everything they are called to be times 10. You might live to see not only the healing of yourself or your loved one, but the back of cancer that has been rampant through your family for generations, broken for every family member for the rest of your lineage. That not, that not only it ends, in, it, it ends here, it ends here for all of eternity. That no one in your family ever has to deal with it again. So as we go into this next year, of next year everything changes, for now, this month, it doesn't matter what negotiations the enemy gives you. You will see everything change next year. Absolutely. If you refuse the negotiation. Everyone stand with me real quick. Sorry, whatever my time a little bit. So you have to remember, what were you promised? If you need to write it down, write it down. If you need to go home... And like that woman in the story, whenever she wrote down all 40 promises, she really did. She got in her journal and she wrote them all down. Number one, number two, number three, wrote down all 40 promises so that she would remember them. And the reason she did that is because she knew there's going to be a day whenever I doubt this. There's going to be a day when it's too hard. There's going to be a day whenever things get really, really bad and things get significantly worse. And on those days, she went back and she looked through. And whenever she thought, okay, this is not how it's supposed to look. It's a little better. Like we're talking right now, it's a little better. But it's not what it's supposed to be. And she would go back and flip through and read those promises and say, my daughter has gone back to her husband. My daughter has been restored to her ministry. My daughter has been restored to her family. My daughter and her my daughter my daughter has put her family first. My daughter has and she would go back and she would read every one of them. And then whenever she would read every one of them, it would build her faith. And she knew God just like with the children of Israel, God gave me these promises and if he came through for them, he's going to come through for me. So if you need to go home, and write down every single one of them. Go and pray 
and ask God, what is it? What enemy is at work in my family and in my life? What is it that I'm struggling with? What is it that my children are struggling with? Write it down. And write down the promises that God gave you whenever you first held that little baby. Write down the promises God gave you whenever you first got the doctor's report and God said, that's not, that's not how your story's going to end. Write it down. And on the days when you are struggling the most, go back and read them and let it build your faith. And go back and remember that if God did that for Israel, he's not failed yet. Not one time in all the history of time has he ever failed. Not once. So if he did that for them, he can certainly, certainly do it for you. Everyone raise your hands. God, I pray right now, Father, for every one of us in this room, that as we get nearer to 2019, Lord, that we remember every single thing that you promised us for our lives, for our families' lives. That God, not one promise goes forgotten. Not one promise is sacrificed because we were handed something that might look like you, God, but it's not you. That Lord, you would give us the discernment to know what is your voice and what is the enemy's voice. That we will never doubt whether it is the enemy giving us a negotiation or it's you bringing us the promise, God. Give us the eyes to see it whenever it comes. God, give us the ears to hear you, the ears to hear everything that, that you are saying to us right now. For this church, for everyone's life in this room, God. Peace, Lord, over every single person here. Peace and rest and knowing that your word will not return void. Your word comes back fulfilled and whole in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.